following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Praise the Lord, Ron Geyer. Thank you so much for tuning in, End Time Insights. We're currently uh, talking about, can we please preach the gospel? Understand we're in the time of the apostasy. That is the falling away from truth, from biblical truth in the church. And we are warning people. Matter of fact, I got a quote here. Somebody sent it to me this morning. Very good. It's by uh, Pink. Um, I forget his first name. Might be Arthur. But he's an old-time commentator, and he says, It is the duty of God's servants to warn men of their danger, to point out the way of rebellion against God leads to destruction. To point out that the way of rebellion against God will lead to destruction. It doesn't lead to him just being upset. It doesn't lead to maybe us getting a cold. It leads to our destruction. The way of rebellion leads us True destruction, rebellion against God. So that was timely. Once again, we're talking about can the church preach the gospel and that, believe it or not, the gospel. It's the totality of the word of God. It's the totality of the New Testament. It's not only that you need a savior because you're a sinner. It's not only Jesus is that savior. It's not only he died, suffered for you and your sin, went to hell for you. Not only that he's been raised, that he can baptize you in his Holy Spirit. You can attain new life through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the nuts and bolts that we need to accept him and repent of our sin. But it's the totality of Scripture, which will include suffering. That's right. We know about the blessings, but it also includes suffering. And that's what we were talking about last week, that we must preach the whole gospel. Just as it includes the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it also includes the suffering that got him there. So important. Paul did not separate the resurrection and the suffering of Christ. He put them together. They go hand in hand. Christ's suffering and Christ's resurrection are inseparable. And truth be told, so should they be in our lives as well. Clarence Larkin, an old time fabulous minister, quotes it this way. And today, if authentic Christianity is to be propagated and survive, it must be because we have said no to any gospel that promises glory without suffering and yes to the way of the cross, which leads to a crown. Chew on that. Remember life's context here and how and when this happened, the Jews were waiting a political Messiah, right? And just like we in America are doing today, We're expecting a conquering lion. And what did God do? He sent them a silently suffering lamb. We are about to make the same mistake that Israel made. We're trying to do things carnality. We're trying to fix our spiritual problems with carnal solutions. Not going to work. Acts 14.22, Paul confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. That's part of the gospel. That's right. You've got to tell people the entire part of what's expected of them. You just don't hook them up, sign them up, and then go ahead and tell them everything's going to be okay. You've got to prepare them. We just read it with pink, okay? 
We've got to point out to them that the way of rebellion against God will lead to destruction. To Paul, it was important to warn and exhort the disciples about the trials and the tests, the tribulations and the suffering that were headed their way as Christians. The phrase confirming their souls is great. Unlike many church leaders today, Paul never looked for converts. He looked for disciples. Uh, I love that. I'm going to say it again. Unlike many church leaders today, he wasn't about filling up the seats. He wasn't looking for converts. Paul was looking for men to disciple. And in order to continue their discipleship, he strengthened them for the tribulation that must come. Let me read Acts 14 again. Very important. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting the disciples to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And so that's what we're doing here. For the last two, three years, we have concentrated on strengthening you while pointing out the dangers ahead that you're going to face as a Christian, such as the false teachers everywhere, such as the apostasy where your faith is going to be challenged and many are going to turn away from God. The two most dangerous places to be in America today, my opinion, for a baby, a mother's womb, which endangers one's life, and my opinion, the local church, which endangers one's soul. Like many others, Diane and I are no longer attending a local church, not because we are losing our faith. It's quite the opposite. We are no longer attending a local church because we are defending our faith. We are guarding our faith. Today's apostate church is swallowing the central, the carnal deceit that Satan and his horde of demons have forced upon us through false doctrines and false teachers, through carnal attachments and promises of materialistic wealth, through false assumptions about power that we don't have. We think we can use our spiritual authority to change our nation even when it is under the judgments of God. How arrogant can we be? How arrogant have we become? This shows the failure of the church once again to preach the whole counsel of God. If the church would preach the whole counsel of God, they would know that there's a cost to your Christianity. They would know that there's a cost to their faith and their public proclamation of faith. They would know that there are trials that they must endure. They would know that there are persecutions, that there are sufferings, that there are afflictions that God will put them in and he will allow them to go through this for his purpose of molding us and perfecting us for glory. Acts twenty twenty seven. Paul writes, For I never shrank or kept back or fell short from declaring to you the whole counsel and the plain counsel of God. Paul didn't pick and choose which aspects of the gospel to preach. He preached it all. He knew what the risk was. He knew what was at risk, the eternal destiny of men's souls. He considered it a debt that he had to pay. Even if it cost him his life, he was going to do it. He figured he was already dead. I am crucified with Christ. So it shouldn't hurt him any more than possible. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul also wrote, I die daily, constantly reminding himself and us that his true existence was hidden in Christ Jesus. Granted, he didn't fight off the worldly attractions that life in 2023 America offers, but there were still pressures and temptations that called him away from Christ, but he guarded himself from them by remembering who he was and who he served. 
Many, if not most, American Christians are trying to use our spiritual authority to enhance our nation, to restore America back to righteousness. We don't have any authority for that purpose, guys. Our power is in the realm of the Spirit, and it's over the kingdom of darkness. The gospel message isn't for carnal successes. It isn't to make our world a better place to live so that we don't have to suffer persecution. The gospel message is to promote another kingdom, one that's hidden from view here. You can only see it spiritually. It's to promote another kingdom, a different world, another way of living. Our spiritual authority is against the kingdom of darkness and no place else. What we fail to understand, if we compromise the gospel, then all the other truths that flow down from that gospel will be compromised at risk. They will run the risk of being in error. Understand the gospel is pure. It's true. It's divine. There can be no error to it. There can be no alteration to it. There can be no additions to it, and you can't leave anything out from it. You can't change it. You can't leave parts out. There's great penalty when we do. Unrepentant man has compromised it greatly, resulting in a removal of our guardianship of the gospel, and Satan has come rushing in. Remember, where there's an absence of God, Satan comes rushing in. What's the song? Fools rush in. I was reading this this morning again also. First Timothy 4.1, But the Holy Spirit distinctly and expressly declares that in the latter times some will turn away from the faith. Why? Giving attention to deluding and seducing spirits and doctrines that demons teach. This is Paul warning Timothy. When one reads this, one must understand this verse. It's just not a dad's advice to a son. This is pure prophecy. This is every bit as prophetic as Isaiah prophesying the birth of the virgin, uh, the, the child, the son, the Messiah from the Virgin Mary. There's no conjecture here. Some will turn away from the faith. That's a prophetic word. This will come to pass. Psst, it has come to pass and it is coming to pass. This isn't necessarily one's personal faith, although it can be. But this is the faith, the faith, the totality of the word of God. It's the totality of scripture. It is the truth. Some will depart from the truth. How will that happen? What will that look like? It will happen because instead of reading the Bible and believing God's word, saints, people, believers will give attention to deluding and seducing spirits. We see it all the time. I'm losing friends. Uh, People are telling me God doesn't judge his church today. What? I tell him, yes, he does. I says, it's written, judgment begins at the house of God. What do you mean? That, that's you judge and God judges. Judgment begins first at the church. God will judge his church first. What is the problem with that? Well, but they don't believe that because they believe now as the church, we're like this exclusive club that nothing can touch us, nothing can happen to us, no evil can come to us. We don't have to suffer like Jesus did. No evil will come up. Well, well guys, what happened to 11 of the 12 disciples? What happened to them? They were killed, guys. They were killed for their faith. That's not persecution. That's not suffering for the cause of Christ. That's not affliction. Come on, guys. Not only will they fall for deceptions like that, but they will embrace demons in their pulpits as well. Yeah, I know that's a nasty charge, but it's true. Notice, man isn't doing this teaching. The demons are. Let me go back and read you again that verse, 1 Timothy 4.1. 
But the Holy Spirit distinctly and expressly, he's driving this point home. He's making it perfectly clear. The Holy Spirit distinctly and expressly declares that in the latter time, some will turn away from the faith. Why? Because they are giving attention to spirits that seduce, spirits that delude, and the doctrines that demons teach. Where is this Christian teaching taking place? In your pulpit, saints. Wake up. Be wise. You're being deceived. Second Corinthians 11.15, Therefore, it's no great thing if Satan's ministers also are transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. That's right. Just as God has anointed men to preach the gospel from our church pulpits, Satan has anointed his followers to preach a counterfeit gospel from the same pulpits. Wake up, guys. You know, one of the greatest problems that we have in the church today is that the church thinks it's not supposed to judge anything. And understanding that judgment is the birthplace of discernment, therefore, if we're not judging, then we have no discernment. Discernment means you can tell the difference between what's right and what's wrong. Not only the difference from between what's right and what's wrong, but the difference from between what's right and what seems right. You've got to be wise. But if you don't judge anything, then you're never going to go ahead and get your discernment sharpened by constant use. Therefore, it's no great thing if Satan's ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. We've got these guys right in our pulpit every Sunday. Yep, Satan's got people anointed to stand in God's holy pulpit. Same pulpit as the guys in your church are preaching from. You probably got some of them in your church preaching also. Largely, the church is unaware of the dangers we face due to cowardly preaching, compromising values, and a lack of accountability. Notice, Paul writes, it's no big deal if this happens. What? Yeah, Paul. It's no great thing if Satan's ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. That's not a supernatural miracle. That's not necessarily a sign and a wonder. That's a biblical truth that we have demons teaching doctrines of demons from your pulpits. Let's see. Paul writes, it's not a big deal when this happens. It's not hard for Satan to do this. It is perfectly within his realm of power to make this happen. Our only defense, of course, is our only defense against every deception, and it is the truth. That's what we're doing. We're giving you the truth. You don't get my opinion here. You're getting the word of God. I'll break it down, and you receive it. The entrance of God's word giveth light. So shall, hallelujah, so shall his word be that goes forth in the earth. It will not return unto him void, but it will accomplish in the thing whereto it is sent. I am sending God's word to you to warn you about following people that will not preach the entire gospel, the full counsel of God. You know, preachers that won't talk about sin. Well, The Bible talks about the fact that they're under a curse. In in Galatians, they're actually under a double curse. That's right. Paul says it twice. If anyone comes to you preaching another gospel or leaving stuff out or adding stuff in, there'll be a curse upon them. And we think these people are blessed of God because they've got big churches. No, they're blessed of Satan. And you follow them, folks. Come on. As I see it, in my opinion, the gospel, it's a sacred trust, man. It's a holy ground. Paul Young Cho in South Korea, largest church in the world, he would never let anybody get up there on the pulpit. If you wanted to say something on Sunday, he brought you up there. You didn't stand behind the pulpit. It's holy ground, guys. First Thessalonians 2, 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, 
Even so, we speak, not as pleasing men, but we're here to please God, which tries our hearts. That's a mouthful. That is so good. He says the gospel is a sacred trust, and I am 100% on board. Sacred trust. Do you know why it's a sacred trust? Because the gospel is the only thing that can save your soul. It's the only thing that can save my soul. It is the tool that brings men to salvation. It is the tool, the gospel, that changes men from a destiny of death to a future of life. That's holy. That, that's a sacred trust. And we're abusing it. We have no respect for God. I'm sorry. People up there talking like they know God. They don't know God, and God doesn't know them. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but pleasing God, which trieth our hearts. Look at this. While they're in the pulpit, while they've got the gospel, while they're preaching the gospel, God is actually trying their hearts. Now, Paul can say that confidently because his heart was right. Obviously, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Paul had a heart that was right with God. What does that say about the people that are in our pulpits that talk about money? We talk about the things that we love. Do they talk about God or do they talk about money? They use God to get your money. What about the people that are talking about power, that we have power that we don't have, that we're going to use that power that God's given us to preach the gospel to take our nation back? These people, they talk about what they love. What do they love? They talk about their power. Come on, folks. You got to be wise. You got to start learning how to listen with your spirits to see what's being propagated to you. You have to understand it. First Thessalonians 2, 4 in the Amplified. But just as we have been approved by God, Paul, we, the preaching group that I hang out with, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel the gospel that tells the good news of salvation through faith in Christ, very simple, so we speak, not as if we were trying to please people to gain power and popularity, boy, is that common today, right? But to please God who examines our hearts, expecting our best. I love that. They are preaching the gospel to please God, God who examines their hearts. And these men, Paul, he's been tried by God right? Which trieth our hearts. He's been tried by God. He's been entrusted with the gospel and been placed in the pulpit. That's God. We have people in our pulpits now whose hearts have not been tried by God. They're not preaching the gospel. They have not passed our test and they're not expected by God to do their best because he didn't send them. Why do you think 1,800 pastors a month can resign? Because they're counterfeit. They're pulpiteers. They're imposters. Look at this. We have first been approved by God, Paul says. Then he entrusted us after he tried us, after he approved us, then he entrusted us with the gospel. Paul writes that having been pre-approved by God to carry the gospel, he expects us not to change it so as to please men, but we preach it so as to please God. I wonder how many guys, if you turned them around in the mirror and said, come on, guys, are you preaching this to please men or are you preaching this to please God. One of the famous pastors in town here talks about that. He's not going to talk about sin because, you know, I think, and of course, that's where you get in trouble. I think, I think, don't think, just do. Preach what God's written for you to preach. You know, I think people are beat up all day long, and they are, but they don't need to come to church to be beat up. Well, if you think people are getting beat up in your church, (laughs) then you don't know what you're preaching because the gospel doesn't beat anybody up. 
We've got to go ahead and have our hearts challenged by God, receive the call, and preach the gospel. He expects us not to change it so as to please men. That's what you're doing. Well, I'm not going to talk about sin. I don't want to offend you. Well, you're offending God by changing the gospel. Earth, hello, you have got to preach the gospel the way it's written. He expects us not to change it so as to please men, but we preach it so as to please God. Does anybody out there care about pleasing God anymore? And that's the whole gospel, the whole counsel of God. Once more, the arrogance of mankind thinking we can change it. I think I don't want to offend man. Well, quit thinking. What's wrong with us? Where did this arrogance come from, guys? We must understand, whether it's a storm or a hurricane, a disaster like what's taking place in Maui and Miami now, a plane crash, a terrorist event, no matter what takes place, there is never anything that is outside of God's control. We must use wisdom concerning our nation. We must learn how to pray with wisdom. Proverbs 2, 6, for the Lord grants wisdom. His every word is a treasure of knowledge and understanding. I love it. I love it. The Lord grants wisdom. His every word is a treasure of knowledge and understanding. I'm going to throw this in about husbands and wives. The Bible says, husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge and understanding. And then right here we read in Proverbs 2, 6, for the Lord grants wisdom. His every word is a treasure of knowledge and understanding. Basically, God is telling husbands, I know this is free, it's off the beaten path, but basically God is telling husbands, read your Bible. Proverbs 28, 5, evil men don't understand judgment, but they that seek the Lord understand all things. Okay, I get it. I don't have to understand absolutely everything that's ever been done, but this is is written in the context of understanding God's judgments, why he sends them, what they look like, what are they here for, what is his hope to accomplish through them. Our job as American Christians is not to seek to change a nation or a world that is heading to its destruction. Why? Because they've abandoned God. But like any good diplomat, we are here not to interfere with the local administration or the rule of justice. Our job is to pray, to preach the gospel, to restrain spiritual wickedness, to rebuke evil, to call out sin, proclaim Christ's righteousness, and disciple those who believe. We do that through words and actions. Marching in the streets or demonstrating against people for their wicked causes shouldn't be in the Christian's job description. Why? Because it will become a distraction to our true calling and most often will wind up putting us in opposition to God's plan when he decides to judge a people or a nation. That mindset is exactly what got Israel in trouble with God and caused them to miss the visitation by their Messiah. We are doing the same thing in America, whether it's President Trump or Governor DeSantos. The church is rallying around mankind again, hoping they will save America. Neither candidate nor any candidate in this upcoming presidential election has the ability to deliver America from its sin. That will only happen under the divine guidance of God. Our problems are never carnal here, though the symptoms may seem carnal. They do manifest in the five-sense realm. Our problems are spiritual, guys, and they're spiritual problems because the church is left off of not preaching the gospel. One doesn't fix spiritual problems with carnal solutions. Like Israel, America doesn't need a political hero. We need the gospel. We need the Messiah. Augustine wrote, 
if you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it is not the Gospel you believe in, but yourself. Father God, I pray for our pastors, for our leaders, for our teachers, for our evangelists, Lord God, that we would return to preaching the whole counsel of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father. I know Satan's made inroads. I know our church is deceived. I know our leaders, many of them are false. Many of them are scared. Many of them are compromising, Father God, trying to run from the persecution that's coming. Lord, I pray strength over the body of Christ. I pray for those that listen to me, Father God, that you would open the eyes of their understanding, that they would behold wondrous things from your word, Father God. I pray that you keep them from deception, that you perfect that which concerns them, that you who have begun a good work in them will perform it until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.